Ernest, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over there and start using it now. All right, guys, welcome back. EYL, E edition. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's well, fitting, it's, very yeah, fitting, yeah, yeah, yeah. very fitting. Um, so we got a very, very exciting episode, something that we haven't covered yet. Every every time you think we cover something, it's always something else to cover. Yeah, this is close to my heart, man. Yeah, this, 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 <laughs> this is a big one. So the gaming industry. The gaming industry is a multi-billion dollar global industry that has turned into a real just everything. It's, it's exploded. Yes, yeah, it's, it's really exploded. They yeah. got the World Series of... Fortnite, the World Series, it is the World big Series. Time, they're getting big time payouts too, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was there. I was at the World Cup, Fortnite World Cup. All right, all right. So a 16-year-old win one mil. Crazy. Um, unbelievable. Unbelievable. So um, we're going to do this episode justice. Esports. Yes. Austin Woolrich, who is the CEO and founder of the Players Lounge. So this is a really... Co-founder. Yeah, shout out to Zach. We ain't forget him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Of um, Players Lounge. So Players Lounge is a platform where gamers uh, play their favorite video games against others for prizes. So long story short, you're, you're doing what you're already doing, um, but you can actually win cash prizes. And yeah. it's for everybody. It's not like you don't have to be the best player in the world. Right. Like you don't have to be the top 25 like the World Series of Poker, where it's like yeah, think, you got to train. It's like, you know, it's a platform that's actually opened up for everybody and um, low barriers of entry as far as money is concerned. But you actually can make a lot of money. So they, they've paid out over $25 million um, in 2019, um, tens of thousands of users. It's a really big thing. Yeah, all, all them days that your mom and dad were telling you to turn the video games off, they might want to start telling you to turn the video games on, man. It is a, it is a huge industry. And like I said, I'm just so I'm I'm so upset that this wasn't around ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. So so this this is a new world. This is a new world that we live in, where it's like you know you don't have to um, work in corporate America. You can play video games and make money, and you can create a company where you can make money and have other people play video games and turn into a lucrative business. So yeah. first and foremost, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Of 
course, of course. Uh, I love what you guys do. Thank you so much for having me. Nah, no problem. So, um, yeah, let's get right into it. Um, so, Players Lounge. All right. So, what is the process? I, I, I kind of know because I, I read, but I, I think it's an interesting story. How do you get, because you was at Wesleyan, if anybody's not familiar, that's one of the best colleges in America. I think it's the most expensive one of Yeah, definitely one of the most expensive it, in America. It, co- it cost well, one, a, one of the most expensive, for sure. Yeah, it cost a lot. <laughs> it cost a lot of money. So Big money. You, 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 you go to, you know, this ex- extremely prestigious university. What made you want to um, really go into video gaming as a career? Yeah, um, I think video games has just always been a part of my life since I was a kid. Um, I've always been playing since a young, young age. And uh, to fund my video game addiction, I would actually sell my old video games that I finished on eBay. And I was actually just looking at my eBay account recently, and I made it in uh, 1999. So I was 10 years old. So I was 10 years old. I don't even know how. I couldn't even explain how I was doing it back then. But I was, like, literally going on the computer, selling, like, my N64 games, my PlayStation games, getting the money somehow via PayPal, and then going to the, like, GameStop or whatever and buying the next game that I wanted. And so it's always been a part of my life. And even uh, a few years later, um, I actually got paid $20 an hour to help some family, friends, uh, children, like beat the games that they were stuck in. So they had their own PlayStations or whatever, and they were stuck in, <laughs> I don't know, like uh, Spyro the Dragon or some game like that. And I would just come over and get paid like 20 an hour to just help them beat these games. So you're like a video game tutor. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think it was more so uh, my family, friends kind of engaging and putting some some fuel onto my entrepreneurial spirit and like kind of, driving me to continue to, to go down the, that path more so than like it actually being a, a wise investment for them. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's definitely been, video games have always been a part of my life. And so when uh, I was at Wesleyan my, my freshman year, I actually came across a site that is now a competitor to Players Lounge. I'm not going to say their name, but they provide a similar offering where you can play video games against other people for money. You're betting on yourself playing video games against other people around the country for money. And so uh, I've always been really big into FIFA. It's one of the games that I've been best at. Um, And so I was playing on the site, and one summer I won a couple grand playing FIFA, and the money actually hit my account, and I was like, I'm the man. (laughs) I just made more than some kids making in the internship over the summer just playing FIFA for a couple weeks. I just found, like, a guy and just took his money like fell a little bad yeah. <laughs> took that money and went to went to florida went to miami with my boy yeah so you know the, the crazy part is that like you said you were 10 in 1999 so like for the, the kids that are listening now it's like before you could play online you had to go to your friend's house to take his money <laughs> you know what i'm saying right. so like once you got online with it it's like all right well this is a new game right so it, it how i see it is that like you have your certain circles that are willing to play video games against you for money and then over a course of course of time like they're not down to play you anymore because clearly you're better so you got to get odds and stuff like that and so this platform really expands the pool of people to play against for money uh exponentially it's like every single circle like comes into this one pool and now you have like thousands and tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of people 
now to play with some money. Okay. So yeah. So so you so you say so you was at all right. Yeah. So you say that you was playing a FIFA. You won a couple thousand. What happens after that? Um. So that kind of opened my eyes. Like, look, like this platform, it works, and there's a big opportunity here. Uh, we could build our own. And so, um, I was at Wesleyan playing soccer there, and. My eventual co-founder, Zach, and I actually talked about this idea because we played FIFA pretty competitively at, at college. We would go into each other's dorm room um, before a game. We couldn't be going out uh, on like a Friday because we had a game on Saturday. And so the whole soccer team would go to someone's dorm and just play FIFA like for money, for sure. So they started, and, they started out as little tournaments in the dorm rooms? Uh, no, that was just like for fun. Okay. Uh, it didn't have to do with players on. We didn't start players on back then, but like the idea was kind of conceptualized in that environment. Where like I just did it on a site for money, and then we're also like experiencing those circles I was just talking about in the dorm rooms at college. And so we started spitballing the idea, but we had soccer, we had schoolwork to do, and it never really evolved beyond just a couple conversations. Uh, but uh, I can fast forward a little bit. Um, and so we graduated college in 2011 and then Zach and I ran into each other in 2014 and that's kind of when the ball got rolling. So you start, you start, you got the idea and you want to take it and make it a real company, right? So what's the first step as far as that is concerned? Like the blueprint that you kind of sitting down with Zach and like, all right, this is the, the framework on it. So... We had our initial like spitballing of the idea when we were sophomores, and nothing didn't really come to fruition. And then graduated in 2011, and three years later, um, I'm watching the World Cup, and I'm like, "Damn, I really miss playing FIFA." And so I immediately ordered an Xbox, and my friend and I just started playing a couple of games of FIFA. And I was like, "Damn, like I really miss playing FIFA with my friends and playing FIFA for money and like, like." Just the whole vibe of that. I really miss that. And so I'm thinking, like, okay, so how can I recreate that experience? Because in New York, people have small apartments, and people are working a lot and, and have conflicting schedules. And so it's not as easy to get people into, like, a room uh, to play, like, a bunch of FIFA together as it was in college. And so I thought of an idea where... Um, why don't I just go to bars and say, hey, you guys have a bingo night, you guys have a trivia night or whatever to bring patrons in on a traditionally slow night, like a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, why don't I introduce a FIFA night? And so I partnered with a bar in Williamsburg um, and I had maybe like 15 or 20 or so of my friends ready to come to this event. And the day before I run into Zach, uh, my, my college soccer teammate at the gym, he just moved back from Brazil because he was uh, at the World Cup. And so I'm like, yo, you should come to this event. Like, you're gonna love it. Um, we're gonna be playing FIFA for money. It's a tournament, just $10 entry fee. And like the winner will get like 200. He's like, damn, that sounds really dope. Like, do you need help doing it? Like, I wanna help. And I was like, yeah, for sure. Like, this shit is a lot of work setting it up. <laughs> so I could definitely use uh, some extra hands. And so uh, the first event was, was great. It was a great success. We had like maybe 50 people packed into a dive bar in Williamsburg. And we realized that, like, there was definitely something here. We recreated that environment that we had 
20 Feet in College, where like there was money on the line. Everybody was friends. People were meeting new people. Um, we were playing good music. And so before starting Players Lounge, I was like a full-time rap producer. And so at these events, just played like all the music that I wanted to hear, like all the newest rap and all that shit. And so it really made it to like a party at the same time. Mm. And that's kind of how Players Lounge, in, in, uh, that's how it really started. It was just an event company that hosted FIFA tournaments at bars with cash right. prizes. So you, you guys went from uh, Brooklyn, you, you, you killed the city, right, Manhattan. Then you started expanding, expanding west, right? Didn't you go to San Francisco? Uh, yeah, we did a couple events in San Francisco. Um, we went through an accelerator program out there uh, at UC Berkeley at the business school Haas. And so we threw a couple events out there. And then we did um, a partnership with Anheuser-Busch. And they flew us out to Toronto to do like a big event out there. Um, so we were a little touching different parts of the country and, and, and North America. Uh, the Anheuser-Busch deal was kind of cool just to kind of like explain the, the, the value behind that on both sides. So for us, uh, the value obviously was cash. They were paying us money um, and they gave us more, I guess, validity. And for on their end, the value proposition was, uh, hey, we have this group players lounge and we could present them to bars as a way to bring in more traffic. Mm. And in return, the bars will get rid of a Miller Lite tap and add another Anheuser-Busch tap. And so that was kind of the partnership that, that we drawn up with them. Cool. So as, as you kept doing it, how, are the crowds growing? What are they looking like? You said at, in the Brooklyn one you had 50. What are the crowd sizes looking like as you keep going around the, uh, the country? Uh, so we had different types of events. We had big tournaments um, with hundreds of people. Uh, we had events where like we found a group in Washington, D.C. that were doing similar type of things, uh, FIFA tournaments. And we had them come down. They got hotel rooms. And we had a whole World Cup, like New York versus D.C. So mm -hmm. our, whole, our whole squad that we, uh, the regulars that came to the players on the events in New York played against the regulars in D.C. Uh, so that was a really, really fun event. That's probably the funnest event we ever did. Um, and then the one in Toronto was pretty big. We had like over 100 people there. But the majority of it was just like very consistent weekly uh, tournaments or leagues. And so we had a website built where like you had a leaderboard. You could see where you were at any given time. The leaderboards are updated in real time, so you could pull out your uh, phone and check the website and see, like, oh, you just lost a match. Like, where did you go up or down, on, or where did you go down on the leaderboard? Um, so it was more like the consistent league and tournament flow that was really the, the bread and butter for us. So at what point did this, does this really start to scale and go from, because it sounds like, all right, you were doing, like, in-person experiences in Brooklyn, Toronto, L.A., different places, and with that, it kind of grew, and became bigger than just the in-person bar experience. So at what point does it grow to having, you know, a first thousand people that are all over the world using it and it's really no longer, the focus is no longer in-person, the focus is more just on the internet. So after about 18 months of doing events, uh, there wasn't really that much growth happening. Uh, and it was a lot of work, a lot of like sweat and it was a large capital investment to continuously grow events because you have to buy consoles, you have to buy games, you buy controllers. Every time you had more people, you needed more of that. And the, the, the expenses and revenue weren't growing linearly. And so uh, we decided to pivot. And the pivot was 
going back to our conversations that we had in college, like, yo, let's build a digital platform where anyone in the country, anyone in the world can play anyone else online for money. So it's basically uh, ex expanding that circle that I was, I was telling you about earlier. And so it was around November of 2015, we decided, look, we're, we're going to pivot from events and focus all of our efforts into a digital product. And the digital product is going to have the DNA of the events, which was um, uh, like a community environment where you can see what's happening, you can see who's playing. It's not like a casino or anything where it's like people are siloed off in their little slot machines and not really interacting. Like, no, it's an environment that we create that's, that's popping and you want to know what other people are doing, what, how much money other people are playing for. You want to transfer that DNA over into the digital products. Um, and one thing that's really important that I definitely want to share with everybody is that pivoting is very normal. And it's majority of startups and successful startups have pivoted at least one time. And so you take kind of what you learn from your initial builds, your, your MVP. So you can call the event uh, our, our minimal viable product, the event company. And so what we learned from the event company was that one, hundreds or even thousands of people were willing to travel all across the tri-state, from all across the tri-state area to a random dive bar in Williamsburg to play FIFA with, with like-minded people for five hours until two in the morning. And that happened twice a week. So we knew that people were really, really trying to do this. And we knew that people were, uh, given that people were traveling from very far away, there weren't that many options out there for them. Um, and then we started talking to our customers in person, like, what would you want from a digital product? Like, what would translate over to make you want to use it? Um, and so we learned a lot there. And interviews are very key. And so we took all that information that we learned um, and, and the clear desire that there isn't a feasible product to allow people to do this from their own homes as opposed to driving like two hours. Um, we took that information and said, all right, let's scrap the event stuff and go fully digital. And so uh, we needed money to build a digital product. And so this is a great story. My co-founder, Zach, um, he got word that uh, a Wesleyan grad, probably one of the most successful Wesleyan grads, this guy named Strauss Zelnick, he's the CEO of Take-Two Interactive. They make Grand Theft Auto, NBA 2K. Mm -hmm. um, and he's also like the chairman of this Viacom CBS conglomerate. So he's like a real, real big dog. And he's a Wesleyan grad. And so we got wind that uh, he has these workout classes at 6 a.m. every Thursday. And Zach could tell anybody, like, when we were on the soccer team, I hated working out. I hated going to the gym, hated lifting weights. I was just on the field just cooking. But I didn't want to, like, <laughs> do any, like, workouts and shit like that. Um, but Zach, Zach enjoys it. And so he's like, fuck it. I'm going to go to this workout class. I got a friend who invited me. And I'm going to go every Thursday, which ended up being from like April to November, every Thursday, until he's down to have a meeting with us. And so I'm like, all right, go for it. And he was very successful. He went like two, two, three Thursdays in a row, didn't get a word with him. Five, six Thursdays later, 
um, maybe said hello, maybe got an introduction, and then eventually was able to build up enough rapport to be like, hey, look, me and my co-founder uh, from Wesleyan, we started a company, an esports company, and NBA 2K is part of our vision. Uh, we'd be sit down with us and hear about it. And he was like, yeah, for sure. And we went to, uh, we went to a, a brunch spot in the Upper East Side, the Strauss Zelnick. And we were so naive at the time and we didn't really like know all this terminology of like uh, valuation caps and all this stuff. And we, and he was just like very polite about it and very understanding. Uh, but he was asking us to do like a bunch of like napkin math. And we're just like, oh shit, like, uh, like looking flustered. <laughs> uh, and then he ended up investing. He ended up investing uh, 60,000 on the spot. And he was like, I like what you guys are doing. I think you guys are very committed. And the digital product is definitely the way to go. Kill the events. Digital product is how you make this a billion-dollar business. The ceiling on the event side is very low and very capital-intensive. And you have a much scalable business on the digital side. Um, and so I'm going to leave. Here's my gym bag. I live at this address. Take my gym bag back to my apartment, and then we got a deal. So we basically have to like find out where this guy lives and take his gym bag to a spot to secure the money. He did, he, he, why, why, why was, why was, was that like some kind of just did the Diddy. secret ritual? Like <laughs> it was a Diddy cheesecake moment. <laughs> exactly. That's probably the best analogy. It's definitely a Diddy cheesecake moment. All right. You guys just take my bag, figure out where I live and uh, I'll cut the check. Oh, he didn't, he didn't give you his address. Uh, he did. Oh, okay. Like, it was still, still kind of weird, yeah. a weird vibe. Oh, before we go, before we go to the next thing, I really wanted to, I want to, I want to double back on what you just said because there was a lot of valuable information in that. And um, the thing that I liked was, okay, so he found out that he worked out at this gym at six o'clock in the morning, but he went there, but he didn't just approach him the first time. It's like, all right. It's like the guy that's like the real creep and he finds out the girl like works in the coffee shop. If he's like really, really like, you know what I'm saying, into it, he's not just going to go in the first time. He's going to make himself a regular kind of like, oh, I randomly saw you. Like, you know what I mean? You kind of, hey, don't you work? Sometimes you got to create, <laughs> you got to create the moment. Yeah. So I love that because it's like, he's intentional about what he wants to do, but he understands that the first time, if he just went and just spoke to him the first time, it's obvious the only reason why you're coming to this class is to speak to me. Now I don't want to hear what you're talking about. So now you just, you don't even speak to him for like five weeks, but he sees you. He kind of is familiar with you at mm -hmm. that point. Then you say, hello, hey, what's up? Hey, okay, I acknowledge you. Then you might just, hey, you know, like, you know, start some small talk. And then like a couple months in, there's some commonalities. It's, 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 it's a conversation. So I think a lot of times, especially with networking, this is why I'm bringing this to this point. Networking, a lot of times, people, it happens to us all the time. People hit us in a DM, and they it's a very selfish, like, can you help me? Yo. Like, there's no rapport. There's no trying to bring any value. <laughs> there's no, like, can I intern? It's just like, I have an idea here. This is going to be the it. best idea. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> it's like it, it doesn't work like that. Human nature is going to reject you nine times out of ten, even if it's a good idea. You have to take the time. You have to build rapport. And over the course of time, it's like chipping away at an iceberg. Then you strike. You wait for the right moment to yeah. strike. You just don't go in off the rip. Zach waited for that right moment to say, yeah, I'm a Wesleyan grad too. And it's like, oh, wait, hold on. Let me have this conversation. Right? Sometimes the power of 
being that commonality, like, yo, we went to the same school, it's going to get you in the door. I, c- I couldn't have said, yo, I went. You need to have proper icebreakers. You need to have, you need to have a plan. Like, um, as you were saying, like, just going in, done blazing with no plan other than to ask for something, like, 99% of the people do that. So immediately that person is going to write you off because he sees it or she sees it every single day. And so you have to really consider the angles that you're trying to approach uh, people with. And if you come with the right angles and you actually like think more about it, uh, you, you increase the likelihood that you're going to get that beneficial result that you're looking for. Yeah. And I, and I like the fact that he told you that um, the scalable model is not in physical events. And this is even obviously pre-corona, but I think everybody realizes that mm-hmm. now. Corona, I say this all the time. Like, you don't have to have a, a strictly online business to be successful. You can have a brick and mortar. It's just a tremendously harder. But yeah. if you don't have some kind of revenue stream that comes from online, I don't think you have a successful business at this point it's in time. It's going to be tough. Because there's too many variables that go into play if you're just relying on live events or brick and mortar. And this just accelerated that to me and it should show everybody. Any type of business that you're starting, at the very least, should have a strong online presence with right. an online revenue model. And you probably want to look at a business that's just strictly online. Yeah. It's, it's a lot less overhead and Brick, it's a lot easier. Brick and mortars will close, right? That happens, right? It's tough to shut down the World Wide Web. It, you I can't. Mean, it's you, impossible. You see what I'm saying? So obviously you need to have an online presence. Exactly. Think about all the, all the stores, the mom and pop stores that put off, oh, we're going to open up our e-com store later kept putting that off and now like that could be the factor of life and death for those businesses and you got to rush to gravitate to a Shopify or a platform like that and rush to create a 3PL your third-party logistics platform to handle your shipping and all that stuff so um, it's a little too it might be too late for a lot of these uh, companies and something that you really have to always engage in as a business owner entrepreneurs like where is the industry going and if you don't do that, you're gonna you're gonna die. Yeah, your your company's on the complete opposite end of that spectrum, where it's like everybody's home. Plus, kids are in front of video games a lot of the day. Plus, they are gonna play online. Another plus that's not going anywhere. So the, I can imagine how crowded your space became. We're gonna get into that though. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we're gonna go into the next segment. We're gonna talk about break down the company, then also talk about. Um, the VC side, but um, yeah, before we go, I just wanted to just like you said, as far as the mom and pop grocery stores, and it's like a lot of times, like I said, you can be a hybrid. I want to just because the show is for entrepreneurs in the business, well, everybody, but we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to us, so it's like think about ways to be creative. And I look at Amazon, we, re- we reference Amazon a lot, um, but Amazon, when they when they purchased Whole Foods a few years ago, it was kind of baffling to a lot of people because it's like Whole Foods, if you really know the business, they were struggling and they've been struggling. But now they've recently turned six Whole Foods into what they call dark stores, yep. which is pretty much just drop shipment centers where people order groceries online now during the pandemic and they're getting shipped. So now it's like, okay, this is the play all along. So now they're emerging. Amazon does that a lot where they, they brought a bookstore. They got Amazon Go Grocery Store, Whole Foods. So they're a perfect example of, like I said, brick and mortar isn't completely dead. Creative, but creativity. You have, to, you have to be able to merge it with some kind of online presence if you still want to have a brick and mortar situation. Yeah, I mean, they're primes now. They started out as a bookstore. And yeah. look, what, look what they've turned into. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, yeah, in the next segment, we're going to go into the details and, and break down the business.
So, okay. So you, you got the company up and up and running. Um, so uh, it's interesting business model. I had a couple questions. So how do players get paid? Like, let's just break this down. So, all right. So let's say I'm a gamer and I play Fortnite, right? And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm not like, you know, a champion. I'm just a regular gamer. So I go on your platform, I create a username, whatever. And, um, I play like a $5 Fortnite game. Is this how this works? Yeah. So it's similar to, um, FanDuel or DraftKings or even yeah. online poker. Uh, even though we're not, we're not gambling. We are skill-based competitions. That's important. Um, <laughs> yes. Very important. Yeah. Um, gone through a lot of legal uh invested a lot in legal opinions to ensure that what we're doing is legal in the majority of states in the u.s um so but it is similar to those models where you make an account and you deposit funds into your players lounge account and so let's say you deposit fifty dollars then you have a fifty dollar balance in your account that can be used how you see fit on the platform and so whether that is playing a ten dollar head-to-head game that instantaneously matches you up against someone of equal skill uh, for the game type that you want to play for or a tournament that's like a $5 entry fee and first place gets $1,000. And so you can just kind of spray your balance however you, you, you see fit on the platform. And so uh, let's say for your example, you want to play a game of Fortnite for $10. Um, you use our matchmaking software to find an opponent of similar skill someone who has performed similarly on the, on the platform, whether they've beaten uh, or played the same players that you have uh, are, are in the same wager, average wager amount that you've had, their winning percentage, their uh, P&L. And so all these factors are included in our matchmaking system to ensure that you're playing someone of equal skill and someone you, never, you don't feel uh, grossly overmatched against. Um, and so... Once you uh, find an opponent, then a match lobby is created between the two of you uh, where there's like a match chat where you say, hey, I'm ready to play. Um, there's an informational area where you see their gamer tag and other relevant information that you need. Uh, and once you're ready to play your opponent, then you go to your PlayStation or your Xbox and you play that person in the game that you're playing. So in this case, Fortnite, uh, it's a very specific way to play for money. But for those yeah. who know how Fortnite works, you drop into a duos match with your opponent on Players Lounge, and then whoever gets the most kills in that game uh, wins the money. And so once the match is over, uh, both players report the score back to the app. And so, uh, Troy, let's say you win uh, five kills to two, then you put yeah. that into the app, and the opponent has to confirm the score, and once they do, the money is automatically dispersed to the winner and added to their account. Um, cool. And in this scenario, if it's $10 per person, we take a 10% fee from each entry fee and the winner would be getting 18 in total. All right, so here's the thing, right? Because I, I used to play games a lot, right? And when you're really good at it, I'm mean, a couple of things. When you're really good at it, there are people who will quit during the game. So what happens then if somebody quits the match or if there's a lag with the connection, what happens then? So we've built a massive like rule set for every game on our platform for what happens in fairly common situations like a disconnection or someone lags out. And so we have protocols in place for all of that. Um, and in case, so for example, if a disconnection happens, we tell users to play the rest of the match 
uh, based on how much time was remaining. So like if you're playing Madden and the disconnection happens at halftime, then we say start a new game and play the first half. And then you just add up the scores. Um, And so uh, naturally, one would think what happens if someone lies? What happens if X, Y, and Z happens? Or someone says that they won when they really didn't. And so we built a very robust uh, dispute protocol and, and functionality in the app that basically handles those situations. And it's very easy to prove that you've won a match these days. You're one button away from screenshotting a match or recording the last hour of your gameplay. Mm-hmm. And so if a dispute happens, we just ask our users to provide some simple evidence to showcase who won that match. And for what it's worth, uh, only 1% of all our matches end up in disputes anyway. And so it's not a very common occurrence. Yeah, so there, there's two ends to the spectrum, right? There's the person that gets on a hot streak. And if you've ever had a, a sports competitive game, you've gotten on a hot streak. Does it make it harder for people to want to play that person, knowing that, hey, you have 26 wins in a row? What does that person do? And then on the opposite end, the person who has had a seven-game losing streak, is there a analytics to match them with somebody who's doing the same? Yes, we consider all, the, all those factors when it comes to matchmaking. So there's two ways to play on Players' Lounge. Uh, you press a button, it's kind of like calling an Uber, and we match you up against the best possible person for you, um, which includes a lot of those factors that you just mentioned. Um, and that's basically our users trusting us to tell them, look, like you don't play video games for a living, clearly. Um, and we want to make sure you don't go up against a pro who's playing on Players Lounge like 10 hours a day, because that just wouldn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would probably leave the site after playing that person like a couple or playing a couple of those people in a row. And so uh, that's the number one way to play on Players Lounge. The majority of our matches happen that way, just pressing a single button and getting matched up against somebody within less than 30 seconds. Um, and then the other way is if you know the person you want to play, you can just send them a direct challenge. Um, so like, hey, this guy is one of the best FIFA players or Madden players on the site. I'm feeling like I'm cooking these days so i want to see if i can like match up against some of the best players i'm gonna send him a dm and then he could see my rating on players lounge uh, we have a players lounge rating which is a score between one and five so the best mm-hmm. player is probably gonna be a five and if i send him a challenge i'm a two he's like okay like bet i made your lunch send me that you challenge get this money uh, yeah um so we do have things in place though to make sure that like the sharks the best players don't necessarily like eat up all the all the minnows and like the majority yeah. of the players who who not only are playing to make money, uh, but also uh, from our user interviews. And I really want to emphasize like interviewing your customers is the best thing you could do in the, in your business because you are literally getting like feedback on the, from the people who are using it the most, and you iterate on that information. Um, but one thing we we've, we've learned from our users is that. A lot of people don't really care that much about making money. Um, a lot, like I would say like half of our users care about uh, the extra value and excitement that comes from playing video games for money. Even if it's a dollar, it's a totally different experience. Your body feels totally different playing that game with a dollar online than if there's nothing on the line. Um, so we, we interviewed uh, Mike Brown. He's a former NFL player that had an equity crowdfunding campaign for a – he has an interesting platform where it's um, – what's it called? Win-win. Win-win. It's called Win-win, and it is uh, like eSports, but it's for charity. 
So it's like fantasy sports, but for charity. Yeah. So he was saying that, um, you know, a lot of people that play fantasy sports, they don't necessarily play it to win money. Like you just said, it's more so the competition, the camaraderie, the whole thing. So he was like, okay, like if you can have the same feel of playing fantasy sports, but you can actually do something good and give to a charity and then you get memorabilia or you get to hang out with an athlete instead of getting paid physical cash, would that be appealing to you? And a lot of people liked that idea and it became really popular. So it's interesting that you, that you said that because that, that reminded me of what he said. I had a question as far as on the business side. So you, you're, you're getting you're getting paid and you're paying people from playing these games like Fortnite and all these other types of games, Call of Duty, I, I assume, and all these games. Are there licensing um, agreements that you have to have with these individual companies that you're profiting off of that? How does that work? Um, no, there isn't. Uh, we checked with our legal counsel on that. Um, and it's more of like using their names and fair use because we don't integrate with the platforms. We're a totally second screen experience at this time. And so what people are actually doing are just like seeing the words like NBA 2K and Call of Duty and then just agreeing to play with each other for money on Players Lounge with the contract that we essentially create. Um, and then the actual game just happens off Players Lounge and on their consoles. Uh, and so we're not like integrated with the game at, at any at any point at this time. And so it's kind of the equivalent of like you're trying to sell your BMW on Craigslist and so you have to use BMW in order to like give people an understanding of like what you're selling and the type okay. of product and the type of like car you're selling. So it's similar in that vein where it's like we have to tell our users that we offer NBA 2K and they want to play 2K for money or else it just wouldn't be uh, like a viable product. We, we, we said this earlier and um, I, don't, I don't know if everybody really understands this, that that term game of skill. And how that helps in the legal matters, right? Because this isn't really gambling, right? This esports is a game of skill. Can you talk about the battle to, to fight for that term? For sure, for sure. Um, I definitely want to like shout out uh, like FanDuel for kind of paving the way here. Um, Nigel Eccles is one of my uh, like advisors, who's a who's a founder of FanDuel, um, and so a lot of kind of like the first iterations of Players Lounge was modeled after that, and so. FanDuel, they, for those who don't know, FanDuel is like daily fantasy sports. It took a lot of my money. <laughs> I love the product, but me too. <laughs> uh, but uh, real quick, what it is, is that you basically set a lineup of players who are playing that day, whether it's in the NBA or NFL, uh, MLB. And so, and then they accumulate points based on their performance and then, the more points your team acquires, the more likely you can be in the money, like win money in a, in a tournament. And so uh, they went through a massive legal battle uh, for years with the federal government and like a lot of states to uh, argue against that they were not gambling and that they were a game of skill. And so the skill argument comes from like, hey, like I can do all my research on the teams um, and the players and the data, like if I'm a data scientist, I have a huge upper hand uh, against someone who just like watches sports leisurely. Mm -hmm. um, and they won that battle because it's true. It's a, it's a game of skill. Like if someone really knows their sports, they have a much higher likelihood uh, of beating someone who doesn't really know. Uh, and so they paved the way for Players Lounge because they spent millions of dollars lobbying and basically state by state getting the conversation going 
to the point where like, all right, the states are like, okay, you guys one are making a shitload of money, so we're gonna open it up. Uh, but two, you've proven uh, enough that you are not gambling and you are a game of skill. And so I'm definitely fortunate for uh, Daily Fantasy kind of paving the way because I didn't really have to go through that. Uh, and the landscape was kind of like already, the legal and, and regulatory landscape was already laid out for me. But that said, I still had to get invest a lot in legal opinions because the key here is like payments. And so the payment processors are, are really on the front lines when it comes to the government because like you got to deal with anti-money laundering and like like all the, like the Patriot Act stuff. And so when you're moving money in the way that Players Lounge and Daily Fantasy is moving money, you have to be extremely compliant with anti-money laundering uh, laws and policies. And so not only do you have to get your legal opinion straight uh, for the payment processors and the government, but you also need to make sure that you have the right protocols and the right policies uh, when it comes to anti-money laundering and the right technical systems uh, in place like geofencing and age verification in order to truly be compliant uh, as a business like ours. So th there is an age requirement for player zones, right? Is it is 18 years old? 18. Okay. So, okay. So like, what's the, what's the revenue model for you guys? Like, do you charge, like you take a percentage out of winnings? Do you charge for everybody that plays? Like how, how does, how does that work? Uh, so it's pretty simple. Uh, we take 10% from each entry fee. And so if you play a $10 match against someone else in the site, then we take $1 from each entry fee and then the winner will get 18. That's it. That's it. That's just plain. Very, very simple business model. Yeah. So what, what's the retention rate? So if so, the first person that the person that comes to the, to the site, what's the retention rate of people who stay and decide to play more and more? Um, I would say it's in the range of, it depends on the game for sure. Um, the game, the type of game that they play. So like Madden NBA 2K users retain a lot more uh, than like a Fortnite user. Mm -hmm. um but yeah i would say like around like 20 percent over uh over eight weeks i believe so right now you guys are on in the console right so xbox playstation have you moved over to the pc side because i know that's i mean there's a lot of games there counter-strike league of legends that are huge are you guys in that space as well uh not yet for various reasons um one like there just isn't that much representation in console esports. Like the majority of esports, as it's known, like mainstream wise, are PC games. Mm. And uh, like the people that are using our platform really love NBA 2K and Madden. And like the esports culture around that, those games, like haven't, hasn't really been created yet. Like it's still like, the foundation might be there, but like the structure hasn't been built on top of that. And we want to build that structure. Mm. Like we want to be the go-to brand to play in competitive console esports for money. Um, and additionally, like we want to represent the underrepresented because the PC market, um, there's a there's a huge barrier to entry there. So like if you want to be like a quote unquote esports player on the highest level. It's like kind of like golf or a sport like that where you gotta invest like a lot. You gotta buy a PC, a crazy PC that's like five thousand dollars, and um, you have to invest all that time. And like 
for a lot of people, that's not an opportunity for them. And so the consoles are like the, the way that they can really play video games. Um, and so we want to like represent the console crowd because uh, there really isn't a, a voice or a brand like associated with that. Uh, and then secondly, sorry, uh, the other reason is that PC is pretty rampant, uh, there's rampant cheating on PC and it runs pretty rampant and like it's not trustworthy enough for us to really get into at this time. That's another big reason. Okay. So what are, what are the biggest games that people are playing on your platform? Like what's the top three games? Top three in terms of uh, like wagers are Madden has a sizable lead, uh, NBA 2K. And then the third game I think at this time is Call of Duty, but it's really close between Call of Duty and FIFA. What's the most somebody has? Do you know like the most a person has won on your platform? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a there are a few people who have won like at this point hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like in, on one game? Uh, not like one. They didn't like put up a hundred thousand <laughs> in one game. We gotta watch. That's that's cable television. Right like, there. what's the what's the most you can put on one game? Like, if you just wanted to just say uh, out the gate, out the gate as like a new user that's verified their account and like uploaded their ID because we just we need to make sure you are who you say you are. Out the gate, uh, five hundred. But as you continue to play on Players Lounge and like you show that you're like a, a, a reputable member of the community, you don't really like try to cheat people, we'll up your wager limit. And so there are a handful of people who are betting like $5,000 games. Um, but I'd say like the majority of the, the larger tier bets are between like 500 and 2,000. Uh, so what makes somebody a professional gamer? Because a, a few years back, I won't say how many, um, I had an opportunity. Um, I, I was playing this NBA Live, and um, this is when they had the Madden bus and the NBA Live bus. I got invited to the bus, and that was based on win percentage. Like right? I was like ranked number five in the world, right? You were hooping. You weren't playing before we started. You were really hooping in live. No, I was. I was really like seriously. Like I would, people were paying paying me to play for them, um, and I got up to like number five in the world. I played the number one dude. That's why I talked about the lagging thing because. I was beating him, he lagged and it got disconnected. And so I got invited to the bus. But now in this day and age, right, how is somebody considered a professional game? Is the amount of money they've won or is it based on their skill set? There's a lot of ways you can be a professional gamer these days. Um, so one, the, the most traditional way is you get signed to a pro team. So mm -hmm. you get signed to like a 100 Thieves or FaZe or NRG and you represent them on their League of Legends team or their Call of Duty team or uh, their Counter-Strike team. Um, so that's the most traditional way. Uh, or you can be a content creator. That's a professional gamer now too. Because like these guys might not be the best in the world, but they're definitely in the top one percentile. But they have a charisma about them that's like attractive on camera and people like watching them, not only because they're good to, at video games, but they have like a persona that I don't know, resonates with a lot of people. Like a guy like Ninja. Ninja would be the, the character. Exactly. Ninja's a perfect example. Cyber PK, Myth, uh, TSM, Daquan, uh, all those dudes. Like, they're really good. They're like some of the best in the world, but they're not good enough to be pros. But the combination of their like, charisma on camera and their video game skill set, I would label them as pro gamers. Yeah, he got, they're he doing got it for a living. You're a pro gamer. I swear. He's got a million dollar contract, man. He's, he's that's a pro. <laughs> no, nah, um, sure. yeah, it's crazy. Uh, but, but but real quick, um, part of the players' lounge mission 
is to add a third way you can be a pro gamer. And like, you may not be signed to a team and you may not be like, have to, like we want to provide an opportunity for people to just make money, enough money to like pay their rent or like supplement a, a, a primary salary or maybe do it full time, but they're making like 50, 60, 70, 100K a year instead of like the millions that like sign pros are making. And so Players Lounge is really creating the infrastructure for like a third way for people to become pro gamers. Nah, yeah. Um, shout out to my guy Marquis too with the 76ers. That just made me think of something. So uh, we were supposed to do something with the 76ers before this whole Corona thing happened. And um, I was in Atlantic City, so he invited me to the training facility that they have in Camden, New Jersey, which is right over the, the river from um, Philly. So he's giving me a tour of uh, the Sixers training facility, and he's showing me a room, and he was like, you know, this is our room for gamers. He was like, so every NBA team, they have a, a team of gamers that plays, I think it's a, a 2K competition <laughs> so he was like you know around march um we get a bunch of gamers and they come and, and he was like it's like training camp like they come in all day and um they train in the morning and then like they take a lunch break and then they do different skill work and um he was explaining it to me and it was a whole boardroom that was dedicated to the gamers for like eight weeks out the year because i guess the nba has their own tournament i didn't even know that but yeah. the, the nba has their own tournament yeah they they, they just ran their tournament um yeah, during, live right now. yeah yeah well uh, they, i think uh devin devin booker won the, the 2k tournament right oh yeah, 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 yeah. no yeah. but these were just random people yeah, the, the random people yeah. are doing one now oh. yeah yeah so the random people are like actual 2k the best players in 2k so like what you were talking about before about like getting signed and going on the bus um like now these days in 2020 the nba has actually partnered with nba 2k to create a professional nba 2k league where the Warriors, the Knicks, the the Nets, like I think I think it's like almost twenty teams now. Yep. They all draft pro two K players and they play five on five two K against each other. And we actually had um a uh, our two K specialist uh, who was working for Players Lounge. He got drafted in the most recent draft. So now like <laughs> one of our boys plays for the Hornets as like a power forward in this two K league. That's crazy. Cool kind of see him thrive. Shout out shout out to Zay. Yeah, that's, that's that's crazy, man. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, those those five on fives are uh, pretty intense. And in in the event of live sports not being here right now, this is what ESPN is showing. They're showing the five on five two K games. I I was sitting there watching uh, the game, and I'm like, yo, this is crazy. Like you individ like each individual makes their player in the my player zone, right? And then as you get skills and attributes, that's how you get drafted. Is that what, is that what you're saying that your boy did? Yeah, there's a there's like a specific mode in 2K where you eventually uh, you actually just I guess present yourself as being being willing to be drafted, and there's a whole competition around it. And then like the top like I don't know 100 like go to a draft, and they may or not get drafted. Kind of similar to the NBA. Uh, yeah, I think my boy got drafted in in like the the first round, like the first 15 picks or so. It's pretty yeah, sick. Yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole culture. It's a whole culture. I got to get back into it. I'm, I'm convinced. Video gaming is a whole culture. So. Yeah, man, it is the 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 landscape for esports is crazy right now, and it's exciting. I mean, it's great for me, great for players. On it's gonna, but kind of for, foresaw this happening back in 2014 when we were hosting the events, and so it's crazy to see how fast the landscape has evolved since then. 
For sure. So, all right. In the last segment, we're going to bring it home. We're going to talk about the VC process and then also the, the vision to expand going forward. So in this segment, we're going to talk about something that we've covered before, but not from this angle. So if you're loyal listening to the podcast, you know that we've had John Henry. Shout out to John. Good yeah, guy. Yeah. You know him? Who? John Henry? Yeah. Okay. He's a he's a superstar, VC, young, Dominican out of New York. <laughs> um, Don't forget the Dominican. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to John Henry. Shout out to Kwame at Black Star Fund. Um, they both are venture capitalists. And they explained the process of venture capitalists from that side of the table. Yeah. But they ha- we haven't covered it from somebody that's actually been in the process of like receiving venture capital mm-hmm. money. So a few years ago, um, you guys raised a few million dollars from a, a lot of big names. You talked about one, um, the Take Two CEO. Um, what's what's the gentleman's name again? Strauss. Strauss Zungner. Um, then also, I believe the former Yahoo CEO, uh, Marissa Mayer, uh, Meyer, and then, uh, Marco Ventures, a lot of big names. And then a big, big, the name. biggest name of them all, <laughs> the big name, the, the sixth God himself, <laughs> Aubrey Graham, Drake, Drake is an investing in your company. So, um, it's interesting because it's like, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, they they don't really, ha- they're not seasoned as far as like how Silicon Valley works or how to, you know, go about asking for money or what's the process to even audition for these type of, mm-hmm. you know, what's the um, pitch? venture capital. Yeah, exactly. So can you walk us through that a little bit? Like what 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 was you, what was you, you guys, you kind of explained the first one as far as with the um, take two, that was like just the in-person rundown. But um, as far as like the other, your cheesecake moment, the other venture capital money that you've received, how'd you go about doing that? Like, what's the process? Yeah, um, there's definitely multiple steps um, to this process, and so for us, the first step was just trying to raise any money to let us do us let us do this full time. Um, because one thing that I really want to advocate is like, if you have a product and idea that you believe in, and you have some like proof of concept there you got to dive in full time because just balancing like your regular life. I know it's not uh, the easiest thing to do for everyone, but I'd highly recommend trying to figure out how to do it full time or invest more hours into it. And so we really were trying to like extend our runway to do players on first time, uh, full time. And so the first investment we got was actually from uh, another member of our Wesleyan soccer team, uh, Mark Murphy. And he was at Goldman. And we just told him about it. And he was like, yo, this is really dope. Like, I think I believe in this. And just gave us 20 grand. And with that 20 grand, I quit my job. And so at that point, Zach and I were doing it full time. And then from then on, that was, that was uh, in May of 2015. And then from then on, we're trying to like extend this 20 grand as, as long as we can. Um, and we're trying to raise from family and friends. Like, look, we got this idea. Like, we're going to build a digital product uh, of this event company. And it wasn't really working. Like we weren't raising money from family and friends just off the the deck. And so we had to like really figure out how we were going to build the first version of the MVP to be a proof of concept in order to raise some more money. And so that's when Strauss came in and we were able to convince Strauss um, to invest. We took that money and we hired our CTO, Dan, and then 
we built the MVP and we launched the MVP of Players Lounge in February 2016. And so for the next year and a half, like we're sweating, we're killing ourselves to try to raise some more money to not only pay our rents, but also like invest more in the business. So uh, be able to test marketing strategies and hire people for customer service because we have customers, but we aren't able to focus on like growing other parts of the business that so we have to spend 24 seven handling customer service. So we really had to like invest in the company. Um, and after we launched the MVP, we were able to raise some angel checks here and there. And so I would recommend if you're at this point, reach out to your friends and family and other relevant people who are investing in you as a person more so than the, the business or the product or the idea because off the strength of you as a person, hopefully you have enough social capital, um, <laughs> then like if you have at least something tangible and a vision and like a business plan, hopefully you'll be able to convince some friends and family to cut you a 1K check, 2K check, 3K, 5K. Um, and we were just every month just getting those checks in the door in order to pay our rent. Um, cause we weren't going to go back to getting a job. We had to continue doing this full time. Um, so that was really difficult. And we were trying to get like the larger checks in the door, like the hundred K 200, 300. And I, I must've met with this one specific investor, like 15 times with different materials, different reports, different, uh, reviews of our CAC to LTV ratio and like all this stuff and just wasn't willing to pull the trigger. Um, and so fast forward to around summer of 2017, we finally got a group that invests in sports teams to, I'm not going to say which teams, it may give away the, the, the people, uh, but they're NBA teams and English Premier League teams and MLS teams to give us a term sheet. And it was for a million dollars for 20% of the company. And that's an okay deal, but at that point, we're like, we have to take this money because, like, we've been so distracted raising money, trying to raise money, we haven't been able to invest, like, the majority of our time in, like, actually growing the business. And so we have this term sheet, and right around this time, Y Combinator has office hours around the country. And what that means is that they have the partners and even the CEO of Y Combinator travel around major cities and provide office hours so entrepreneurs can come in and just talk to them, tell them about their business, and then they can learn more about Y Combinator. And so- What is Y? Yeah, what is, on, what is about y. That Okay. Yeah. What is, so that it's like a workspace for people to come, like creatives to come in and pitch ideas? Like, what is that? So Y Combinator is the most pre prestigious accelerator program in the world. An accelerator program for startups, in the startup sense, is like they put you through like a quote unquote boot camp for like three to six months, depending on the type of program. And you basically learn as much as you can during this time and ideate your idea, maybe pivot if necessary during this time. And then at the end, uh, you have a quote unquote demo day, which is you getting on stage in front of thousands of investors and pitching your product uh, with the hope to raise money afterwards. And so Y Combinator is by far the most prestigious and it's actually harder to get into Y Combinator than it is to get into Harvard and Harvard Business School. Mm. Um, I think it's twice, like if you go by the numbers, it's twice as hard to get into Y Combinator. And you apply, like you apply like online, like it's like a school, like you like apply for. Yeah, so how it works is 
I'll, I'll actually just continue the story because I'll explain it. We'll get into that. And so uh, we end up going to office hours with Michael Seibel, who's the CEO of Y Combinator. And he's like a, he's like a Silicon Valley legend. Um, him and his team uh, were the co-founders of Twitch. And also previously, Justin TV, if you guys remember that. Um, but Justin TV became Twitch and Twitch sold to Amazon for a billion dollars. And now he's the CEO of Y Combinator. And so we met with Michael in New York while we had this term sheet on the table. And we tell him about the business. We tell him that we're generating money. At that time, I think we were making like $7,000 in revenue a month. Um, and we told him that we've been busting our ass trying to raise money and it wasn't really going well, but now we finally have this term sheet, but it's not the best deal. And he's like, look, I'm going to hide. I'm going to give you guys some advice. And Michael's a really cool dude. And he's very matter of fact and straight to the point. He's like, you should not take that deal. I don't care if it's for a million dollars. You should apply to Y Combinator. You're generating revenue. So there's a good chance you get in. I can't promise you get in because it's very difficult, but you have a good idea in a space that is booming. I highly recommend you apply. The application deadline is tomorrow. So you better get on it. <laughs> um, so we're like, we got to try it. Why not? So we apply and the application process is like an online. The initial application is online. It's a bunch of questions about your business, about the market, um, market opportunity, who your team is, why your team should be successful. Um, and then you send like a little video. And then if you get over that hump, then they invite you to an in-person interview uh, at the Y Combinator campus in Mountain View. I think they've now moved to San Francisco proper. And so we didn't take the term sheet. We applied to Y Combinator. We flew out for the interview. We got uh, approved for an interview. We flew out a week before our interview and booked an Airbnb. So we invested like, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars of funds that we didn't really have for an Airbnb a week before. And we just grinded and memorized all the questions that we thought that they were able to ask us, that they, we thought that they were going to ask us. Like hundreds, hundreds of questions. We memorized every single possible answer. Um, and then we walked into the interview, which is like a 15-minute interview. And like, I'll be honest, I'm pretty sure I blacked out. I don't really remember what I said, but I knew I was able to answer whatever they asked because I had an answer prepared. Like anything in the realm of what they asked, I knew I had an answer prepared already. Um, and so we got into Y Combinator and uh, that was a life-changing experience. And that changed the total trajectory of Players Lounge. Uh, we wouldn't be where we are today if it wasn't for Y Combinator. So through through that, what's it called? Y Combinator. Yeah. Yeah. Y Combinator. Yeah, you got it. Okay. Yeah. And that's the they have a website. Y Combinator dot com. Yeah, and just to like really put into perspective, like I guess the prestige of it and how good they are at finding businesses and also supporting uh, their companies that they invest in. So when you get approved for Y Combinator, they invest in you. They invest seven percent. They invest like one hundred fifty thousand for seven percent of your business. Um, and then you're part of the YC network for life. Um, and so some of the companies that have come in Y Combinator have been Airbnb, Twitch, Coinbase, mm. Dropbox, Reddit, um, Zenefits. Uh, I'm missing a really, really big one. Yeah, it's called Players Lounge. 
True. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate you. Um, but yeah, like the gravity of these company uh, companies are like crazy. Um, and they have 7% of all of those companies that are all worth like north of $50 billion at this point. Yeah, in my mind, I'm thinking like this is like the ultimate Shark Tank right now. Like when you guys walked in, yeah. you made this pitch. So they, they take 7% and give you 150, but do they also find uh, more investors or what, what happens next? That's how Y Combinator ends. So for the first, for the three months that you're there, like we flew out to the Bay um, and we stayed in like East Palo Alto and it's like a, it's like a program. And so a couple times a week, you go to the campus and you learn, they teach you vital information about startups, how to grow your business, how to market, what you should be prioritizing, how to build a team, how to manage a team, uh, just everything that's relevant. Uh, and they also bring in former YC graduates. So when I was there, like the founders of Reddit came to talk, the founders of Airbnb came to talk. Um, so you're getting some really crazy, insightful information during this t period, but 90% of the time you're working. And so when you're not like doing these like two, three hour campus events, you're working on your company. Because if you're not working on your company, nothing's moving. And they know that, they're really smart about that. And so the misconception behind Y Combinator is that like they handhold you and build your business for you. No, they just give you the information, the tools to do so, but then you gotta put in the work yourself. So we were working like actual 14 hour days, like waking up, go right to our computers, work, take calls, eat, go to the gym, work, take calls, eat dinner, work till midnight, go to bed, do the whole thing again for three months straight. And then at the end is where you get your reward, hopefully, which is demo day. And so demo day is probably the biggest uh, um, feeding fest, I guess, for investors. Because Y Combinator has such a great track record uh, in investing that all the best investors come out for demo day because they, they already know that if it's vetted by Y Combinator, then it's probably going to be a good company. Um, and so I got on the demo day stage and there were thousands of investors in the crowd and some really big people were there. There was like NFL players there who come and invest there. Marissa Meyer was there, the former CEO of Yahoo. Um, and so, yeah, I had to get on stage and just pitch players lounge for two minutes with the hope that afterwards we'll get some money in the door and I don't have to worry about fundraising anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm in my mind, I'm, I'm listening. I'm hearing, uh, lose yourself. That's what's playing in my mind. I'm, I'm envisioning you right now. Like this is your moment. <laughs> you better not blow this. <laughs> more of a Drake fan. I got to definitely shout out more of a Drake fan. I was listening to a lot of Drake at that time. Um, but, uh, and then I guess that came to fruition to some extent. Afterwards. You thought it into existence. There it is. Yeah. The power of the mind is not a joke. No, nah, I mean, but that's that's a, this is an interesting conversation because it's like a lot of time, like even what we talked about Mike, Mike Brown before, but he he put us on to um, Draper University, which um, I'm sure you're familiar with that. And um, so what you're explaining sounds like it's like a boot camp mm -hmm. for tech entrepreneurs, right? And it's like a lot of times, and that's one of the great things with Earn Your Leisure is that it provides exposure to people that have been left out for a very long period of time. And it's like a lot of times you don't even know what you don't know. And, um, <laughs> exactly. you know, I'm not in the tech field, but, you know, I'm in business. I've been in business for a long time, and I wasn't aware of this, and it sounds like it's an extremely big thing. And it's like there's so many different things like this that 
people don't even have any idea of, like, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs and stuff like that. Like, you never know what some information can yeah. do. Like, somebody might hear this podcast, might apply to it, might exactly. get accepted, and might become the next Airbnb. They, You never know. Like, you know, and it's I, like the power of information is extremely powerful. When I saw the word Y Combinator, I was like, what is that? I, it was mentioned in a couple of writings. I'm just like, yo, what is that? And now you just open the door to thousands and millions of ears, man, to what it actually is. So... Kudos to you, man, to opening yeah. the door for us. Nice, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's definitely my pleasure, and it's one of the reasons why I wanted to get on the show is because I learned so much in a similar fashion, just, like, absorbing content and, like, figuring out what is what. And, like, you don't know what you don't know, as you said, Rashad. And, like, um, I didn't know about Y Combinator. Like, I only found out about it through, like, a friend. And then, like... When I said when I told them we got in, they were like, or we got an interview, they were like, "What are you crazy? Like, you just that's like a very small percentile of people even get an interview." And I barely knew what it was at the time, and so when we got in the interview, like I looked more into it, and I was like, "Wow, like this is a really big deal," and that's why we invested in the house before to really study and make sure that we crushed the interview because this is it was a life changing event for myself and my team um and even if players lounge doesn't really pan out which that's not gonna happen but um the network that you get from Y Combinator allows you to just like it's like a fraternity it's like a tech fraternity so like if I needed if I wanted to partner with Twitch I can just go right to the top because it's a Y Combinator company if I wanted to talk to like the CEO of Airbnb and put like playstations and certain Airbnbs I can hit up the founders of Airbnb because of Y Combinator. Um, so it's a very, very, very incredible uh, tool. And for sure, like the knowledge, even even spreading the knowledge that it exists can be very helpful to people. Yeah. I didn't know. No, nah, for sure. I didn't know either. And um, so, all right. So now that that makes sense where you get all of these venture capital, they, that comes from that, right? Yes. So after demo day, they set up basically a uh, kind of like a speed dating type situation with investors. And so they built tech to basically for investors in the crowd to just be on their phones and be like, okay, Players Lounge just went. I like them. I see that they like Players Lounge. And then we set up meetings in this like speed dating environment. Uh, and so the majority of our VCs came from that experience. But the biggest ones came from like relationships beforehand. And so there's actually a, a email mailing list called Stealth Mode, um, which is basically like a network for black entrepreneurs uh, or minority entrepreneurs in tech. Um, entrepreneurs in tech and also like relevant business um, skill sets. And so one of my friends actually added me to the group and did a shout out like thank you for uh sorry uh not thank you congratulations <laughs> yeah congratulations to austin and players lounge for getting into y combinator and then immediately a vc at comcast ventures kai bond hit me up and was like yo i have a fund that focuses on minority investments under comcast I'm also a Wesleyan grad, um, and so I know it doesn't make sense for you to raise right now because your valuation is going to skyrocket after Y Combinator, 
but once it's time for you to raise, like hit me up and I got you, I'm gonna cut the check, I'm gonna cut the biggest check immediately. And so he was a man of his word. I love Kai Bon and Kai Bon of Comcast, which he's now at actually Courtside Ventures. Um, yeah, he cut the biggest check in our rounds and he did it before I even got on the demo day stage. Um, I was just like, yeah, it's time to raise. I'm going on demo, I'm, demo day is a week from now. He's like, cool, I'm gonna get this check cut before. And he invested $600,000 um, pretty quickly. How does Drake, how does Drake get involved? It's <laughs> uh, a great story, actually. So <clears throat> I was a music producer, full-time music producer before starting Players Lounge. So I was just like straight up making rap beats every day. What was, what, what's your producer name? What was it? Uh, it was me and, and my homie Brandon from, uh, from our hometown. And our producer name was The Arsenals. Okay. Um, like some of our stuff actually, we were on French Montana's first album, Excuse My French. Um, we did Life is So Exciting for Fabulous with Pusha T on it. Um, we did a bunch of stuff for Kid Ink early on, uh, early on Kid Ink. So, yeah, I mean, like that was my life. And so, obviously, I had contacts in the, in the space. And so, when I was before. I went to Y Combinator. My manager at the time, uh, his name is also Austin, hit me up and was like, yo, I thought he was gonna be like, where are the beats? I haven't gotten beats in a month. And I was like, yeah, 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 my fault. I've been starting this company called Players Lounge. And he's like, oh, where? Like, come through to my spot and tell me about it. And so I tell him all about it. And he's like very, very connected, obviously. Uh, he actually manages like Post Malone now and some really big people. And so he's like, yo, this is really dope. Like I want to invest. I want to tell a bunch of my friends to, to invest as well. And so he connected me with a dude named Sam Shatreet and of uh, Shatreet Ventures. And so he's cool with uh, Future of the Prince, which is who's Drake's manager. Mm -hmm. And so Shatreet Ventures invested in Players Lounge right when we got into Y Combinator. Um, I was like the first like major investment we got uh, at the time. And when Drake got on Fortnite with Ninja, he like broke the internet. Yeah. And I think like the conversation happened at some point where like, all right, we got to invest in esports. And then so the next time um, Shatreet met with Future the Prince, he's like, yo, I just invested in this esports company called Players Lounge. And he connected me with Future. And so I talked to Future on the phone uh, while I was at Y Combinator, and he was like, "Love it! Like we want in." I'm like, "That's that's news. That's a uh, that's news. That's great news to to me." Like, I, I mean, Drake investing in players' lines. Like, is, am I dreaming or what's up? And he was like, "All right, bet. Like, we're gonna be in touch." Eight months later, it goes by. <laughs> I, mean, I, haven't, I haven't heard from him. And which is fine. And then reached out to him and then we ended up meeting in LA. So I met him in person we sat down and it was really funny. We, we met for 45 minutes and he was on the phone for like 42 of those minutes. <laughs> Go ahead, talk, I'm listening. Like on the phone while, while like, like, you're like you're talking to him while he's talking to somebody else? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he had to like, get up and take a bunch of calls. Like we're talking about like literally the most desired entertainer in the world 
and I'm just watching firsthand like how busy it must be to manage that person. Um, but he seems to be doing an incredible job, Future the Prince. And and then it's like cool. We still want to invest. Like draw up the paperwork. So it's it's moved forward a little bit. So we draw up the paperwork. He puts me in touch with like the business team and stuff like that. So paperwork's there, and it's just sitting there, and it's sitting there, sitting there. And I'm like, all right, cool, no rush, no rush. Understand it's like the busiest guy in the world. And then uh, this is like August, August 2018, August 2018. Um, it's a big summer for him. Yeah, so he's on tour, and my, my first manager, uh, Anthony, like, my day one from, from Jersey, who like manages the Arsenal, uh, he was like, yo, I'm going to the Drake show. You want to come with me? And it was my birthday. So I'm like, yeah, thank you. That's a great birthday gift. And it was at MSG. And we are in a crazy VIP section. I'm like, I've never, I've been, I've been in music for a little while, but I've never been like put on like this and like Damn. showing Travis Scott, Mike Tyson's there, Drake's dad is there, DeMarcus Cousins, Damian Lillard. Um, like Smoke Perp, we're all just like in this section, Kylie Jenner, um, like this section MSG, and then we end up going to the after party, like the private after party. And so I, we're, I'm there. I didn't even know we were going there, so I'm like dressing in shorts and shit. I look like weird. <laughs> I look like a nerd. Um, and end up just going to this after party, and I'm coming out of the bathroom. It's a private after party. Like, Drake's just there, just mingling. Like, security's not even really on him. And so, uh, not pressing or anything. Like, I know that there's a deal, like, on the table. And I'm not, like, I'm not going to go up to, to, like, Preacher the Prince or anything and say that, like, for the exact same reasons why we talked about before with, like, Strauss. And so, Future just sees me at the party. He didn't even invite me. He's like, damn, like, how'd you get here? Um, so, uh, like, <laughs> you know. Let this guy in. <laughs> um, yeah, but he was just like, oh, shit, like, I'm glad you're here. I want you to meet Drake. And so he just, like, brings me over and introduced me to Drake. And he's just like, yo, Drake, this is Austin. He's the founder of Players Lounge that I was telling you about. And we're going to invest in this company. So I just wanted you guys to meet. And, and I just dabble up Drake and, like, and just say, like, some nice to meet you or some shit like that. I don't know. Um, and, yeah, that was that. Was that. And then, then the paperwork got signed. So... I feel like if there was a moral to this story is that one, it's like doing face-to-face -face business is a really big deal, especially when you're dealing with like people like Drake, like really big celebrities who like people come to them with deals all the time, every day, like still I get hit up every week saying, yo, can you hook me up with Drake to invest in my company? And like, <laughs> so I can't imagine how that's happening like outside of myself. And so what I really, what I really got out of that is just like being cordial, like not pressing, like, yo, like sign this paperwork, sign this paperwork. Like, no, like you got to understand who it is. And like, you're not in a rush, like, and you don't need the money. You also just raised a lot of money. So like, why would you even be pressed? Let the, let the, let it happen organically, let it evolve organically. And that's exactly what happened. Just my, my two circles, my old circle, my music circle and my new circle kind of combined to get this done together, um, which was a really cool experience looking, looking back at it. The legend oh, of Aubrey. Nah, man. Um, nah, this has been a pleasure. What's the, what's the, before we wrap this up, what's the scaling model? Like what do you, what, what's, what's in the future for Players Lounge? Um, 
So first we want to just make the product uh, more social. So like remember I was saying like the DNA of the events, putting it into the, into the app and like doing more of that. So like having a real platform where you can like follow people, which you can do now, but expanding upon that, like seeing what your friends are doing on Players Lounge and making it a network for a competitive esports. And so like we have celebrities on our platform. We have NBA players, we have MLB players, and they have like verified check marks and stuff like that. So creating the environment similar to like an Instagram or a Twitter where you can like see your favorite celebrities like play competitively. Um, and then also like double down on that where you can like create your own esports team and compete for really big prize pools. And so like let's say you guys create the earn your leisure esports team on players lounge and you sign like 10 Madden players and 10 NBA 2K players then their performance on players lounge will aggregate into being on the leaderboard with like a really big prize pool. And so we want to make it a lot more social and a lot more like team oriented where like you nudge your friend like, hey, have you played on Players Lounge this week? Because like our team is fifth on the leaderboard. If we get up to third, that's another $100,000 in our pocket. Um, mm. So that's the kind of like shorter term trajectory that we want to do. Um, and then longer term, I kind of, I envision us being in like a Netflix situation where like we're so big, the publishers may put wagering in their own games because we've proven that people are willing to do it and we're proven that like there's a million dollar hopefully billion dollar business in this so we may have to create our own video games with wagering in it like triple a quality video games the same way that netflix is making their own triple a quality tv content to compete with the studios mm. a lot. how many people on the team it's you and zach and who else we have a decent sized team now. We have um, maybe like 20 full timers and then another like 10 part time. But yeah, Zach and I are the co founders. Austin, it's been a pleasure, bro. I appreciate it. Um, how, can the, how can the people uh, follow you, contact you? What's the, what's the social media handles, website, all of that information? Yeah, yeah. Um, on Twitter and Instagram, it's at Wool Dynasty. Um, spelled W-O-O-L-D-Y-N-A-S-T-Y. It's easily confused as Wool D Nasty, but I'll take it. <laughs> um, I'm not even mad at that one. That might be my next producer name, to be honest, but I make another beat. Um, and then uh, the Players Lounge handles are uh, at Players Lounge on Instagram and at underscore Players Lounge on Twitter. Um, and yeah, hit me up. I mean, I'm very accessible and I really enjoy paying it forward because a lot of people were doing that for me so if anyone listening wants to like learn more or like have a simple conversation um uh yeah just just let me know and uh i'll, I'll make sure i can i can help you out appreciate that bro troy housekeeping items yeah shout out to everybody on patreon.com our proud to pay program they have five tiers there you can enjoy any tier you like you know at tier four and five uh, you get certain incentives such as EYL University, our online school that is the top business school in the world right now. And you also get access to our EYL uh, private Facebook real estate group, which is growing at a rapid pace. 
got a lot of incentives there. Our book club, our weekly webinars, some that we do on YouTube Live that have been going crazy. A lot of information is being shared. So thank you everybody that's been tuning in to that and all the earners that's been tuning in and showing love. We appreciate it. Yeah, EYL University is, a, is amazing. It's an amazing platform. Uh, we bring people on like once a week to kind of teach. Um, so like an extension of like sometimes people come on a podcast, but people have like more engaged questions and it's like a Zoom interactive. It's really dope. So yeah, maybe we can get you on there one time. Like, That'd be a, a fire one. Do a gaming one. class. That'd be a fire one. Uh, yeah, appreciate that. And uh, Assets Over Liabilities is the merch. EarnYourLeisure.com. Uh, you can purchase the merch. Um, so yeah, make sure you check us out. EarnYourLeisure.com. We got to send you some merch also. And um, yeah, thank you guys for rocking with us. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you're listening to YouTube, subscribe, like, comment, all that. All if you listen to it on Apple, Spotify, do the same. We greatly appreciate it. Um, tell a friend to tell a friend. And yes, uh, thank you guys for rocking with us. We'll see you next week. Peace. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.